It is a little bit brisk up here, but I'm going to make it through. Would you guys want to hear a sermon this morning? We'll see. All right, let's pray over this message. Father God, we love you, we praise you, we glorify you in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's alive and that it's active and that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we pray today that you'd use this word to change us, challenge us, and to convict us. Fathers, you brought us to this place, Lord. We pray earnestly that you would speak directly to our hearts. And God, I pray for every single one of us, myself included, that we would hear what you want us to hear. God, that it would speak directly to our situation. We ask you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm being Matthew chapter 11 uh, this morning, being verses 20 through 24. For those of you that are just joining us, this is what we do. We go through the Bible, and so wherever we're at is wherever we're at, and this is what you're supposed to hear because you're here today. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 through 24, it says, Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works have been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago and sat cloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Amen. Here's what I want you to get out of this sermon this morning is you need to repent. And, and, and if you've never repented, and you don't understand what that word is, the word repent just means to turn. It means to have a change of mind. It means you see something one way, and then your mind changes, and then you see it a different way. It means that you're going in one direction, and then you turn in a direction. Now, as a Christian, for those of us that have confessed Christ, we have already repented but we live a life of repentance, right? What does that mean? That means that as our lives have been turned towards Christ, we're walking in his forgiveness. At times we have to check our hearts and say, there's an area of my life that is not where it needs to be. I need to turn it back to Christ so that I can walk in repentance. Amen. Now, oftentimes people will say to me, you know, pastor, I feel like you talk about repentance too much. Or that's all you talk about. But we go through the Bible here. That's what we do. We've been through a lot of books. James and Samuel and Philippians and John and all these different books. And if you go book by book, chapter by chapter, line by line, there's a lot of repentance in the Bible. That's because God wants you to be in relationship with Him. And the only way that you can be in relationship with Him is you have to turn from being in a, not being in a relationship with Him to being in a relationship with Him. And so if you're like, man, this seems to be a theme that's constantly going through the Bible, it's because it is the theme that God wants you to know all the time. This book is intended to draw you to God. It's the reason why I say that it's a holiness story, because we are not holy. God is holy, and we need to repent and turn to Him so that we can walk in His holiness. The Bible says in Ezekiel 14:6, Therefore I say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, Repent, turn away from your idols, and turn your face away from all abominations. Joel 2:12. Now therefore says the Lord, Turn to me with all of your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. That's that idea of continual repentance. We want all of our heart to be turned towards God. Amen? We want all of our lives to be directed towards God. Jesus said in Matthew 3, 8, Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. Acts 3.19 Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The reason why sermons at Faith and Victory Church talk about repentance a lot, it's because the Bible talks about repentance. 
repentance a lot. Amen? The whole idea of a sermon is to say that there's something that you don't know or something that you aren't doing that needs to change. Unless you're listening to a sermon that's informational, that's just always how it's going to be. And, and I, for one, want sermons that are transformational. I don't want to. I don't want to just teach you something. I want you to. I want you to take something and have something change in your life. I want you to walk away or drive away and say, you know what? There's something in my life that needs to change. I. I know that there's something in my life that needs to be different. <clears throat> So at this point in the story where we're at, Jesus has been talking to his disciples. And now he begins to rebuke entire cities for rejecting his message. He's not not just talking to individuals. He's actually standing over cities and saying, you know what? This whole city is under judgment because they refused me. This whole group of people is under judgment because they refused to recognize that I was Messiah. The Bible says in Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. When Jesus came on this earth and he walked and he talked and he went places and he did miracles and he preached, it was for one purpose, and that was to get people to turn away from their sins and turn towards God. And so as he walked through these cities and he saw people that rejected him and rejected his messages, he then turned on them and said, you know what? You are not going to be in a good place because you rejected what God has sent, which was me, God in the flesh, telling you to turn away from your sins and turn towards God. And so in this passage, he's contrasting three Jewish towns where he performed many signs and three Gentile cities known for such extraordinary wickedness to deserve God's destruction. And so what he says basically in the scripture is very simple. On the day of judgment, the Jewish towns are going to be judged more harshly because of their unwillingness to repent, even though they saw Jesus and his miracles. So Jesus is saying, some of these cities I went to, I showed you that I was God. I showed you my miracles and you rejected me. You're going to be judged more harshly because I was there. And then he contrasts it and says, there's cities in the Old Testament that were under judgment. They didn't have me and they're going to be judged less than you because you saw me. Does that make sense? So let's get into this. The first point I want to make this morning is if you do not repent, Jesus will rebuke you. Jesus rebukes those who don't repent, and he's doing so in 1120. Now, what does the word rebuke mean? Rebuke means basically to uh, uh, tell you what you are not doing and what needs to change. Amen? So Matthew 11:20 says, Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works were done in you. Now, rebuke just means correction. Amen? Look at that son. Look at how excited you got. I saw your faces smile. You're like, I can tolerate this rebuking preaching if I could just warm up a little bit. Keep your heart straight or else the clouds are going to come. All right. Now, rebuke just means correction, and, 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 and I want you to really think about this. I want you to internalize this, okay? The bulk of what Jesus talked about when he was on this earth was correction. It was correction. 
It was changing what people believed and changing what people thought. It was saying, you know what, what you're thinking is wrong. What you're doing is wrong. And I'm going to tell you what you're doing is wrong. Wrong thoughts, wrong ideas, wrong motives. But but here in this story, he's rebuking a whole entire city. Now, if you look at the map, Chorazin is part of this, what they call the evangelical triangle between uh, uh, Capernaum and Bethsaida. And, and this is kind of the area where he did a ton of his ministry. You look at it in your... Uh, um, Bible map. And so watch this. In the scripture, Jesus rebukes them not for the sins that they did, but because of their lack of repentance. He doesn't say to them, you know what, you did this wrong thing, or you guys were living wrong, or you shouldn't have done this. He said, you know what, the answer was you turning to me, and you rejected it. They were the ones that saw his miracles. They were the ones that saw his power. They were the ones that experienced God in the flesh, but they did not turn towards God in thankfulness. So Jesus is saying, you know what, man? If I would have came to, when I came to your city, you saw all of this stuff and I did all these amazing miracles and you still rejected me. It, it would literally be like for us, if Jesus walked into this parking lot and did all of these miracles and then we were just like, Eh, and we walked away. Jesus would say to you, you know what, man? I came to you. I showed you all of these things. And it, it didn't change anything about your life at all. I, I would hope that for us, if Jesus was here in the flesh and started doing miracles and loaves and fishes and all this other stuff, that we would bow down and, and, and confess him as Lord and say, you know what? You are my Savior and I'm turning away from my old life. Can you imagine Jesus rebuking a whole city? Can you imagine him doing something like that to people? See, see, people people get this wrong idea of who Jesus is. They think, oh, well, Jesus would never say anything harsh. He rebuked a whole entire city. I remember when I was in the army, and I, and I used these army examples because if I used you as an example, you'd stop coming to this church. And in the army, they have these things called formations. And what a formation is, is it's a group of people that are all in one little, like, rectangle going in the same direction. And the nature of a formation is that if one person is doing something wrong in the formation, they will smoke the entire formation. What does that mean? What does it mean to be smoked? That means basically they make you do physical activity until you are sweaty, tired, and uh, falling on your face and you can no longer do it whatsoever. And I remember when I was in basic training, we uh, um, we were on our way back from chapel and somebody was talking in the formation. And you might think this is hyperbole, but it's not. They literally made us do physical activity for two hours in the dirt because somebody was talking in formation. And some people say, Man, why, why are you telling me that story? As I was in that formation, I hadn't talked at all. I hadn't said anything. But someone had, and, and, and the person that was in charge thought fit to, to say, you know what, I need to correct this whole entire group of people because a small group of the people chose to not live by the rules. Sometimes Jesus has to rebuke a whole entire group of people, even though there might be one or two people in the group that didn't do the wrong thing. Jesus is stern with people, but he rebukes them in love. Can, can you agree with me that sternness does not equal unloving? Sternly rebuking someone can sometimes be the most loving thing you can do. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 27.5, open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. 
See, see, this is quite loving because this is an opportunity where Jesus is actually preaching to them at a time that they still have an opportunity to change. He, he's not destroying the city and then rebuking their dead bodies. He's saying you have an opportunity to change if you would listen to what I'm saying to you. And he lays it on so thick. He says, you know what, Tyre and Sidon, and these were cities in the, if you don't know your Old Testament, Tyre and Sidon were cities in the Old Testament that prophets pronounced God's judgment on because they were such wicked cities. And Jesus says, and uses an example, and says, you know what, these cities were better than you guys. These cities in the Old Testament, they're, they're actually better than you. I want you to think of, the, I, don't, I don't know what the worst city is in America is. Whenever I think of a bad city, someone's like, oh, I'm from that city. Some cities are just wicked. It's, it's, it's literally like he would, see, he agrees. Uh, if, some, uh, it's like, I, I don't know if you've ever been to Vegas, but like, on a, it's a wicked city, man. And it was like Jesus would say, you know what, you would be better off than Vegas. It'd be better off than, uh, I don't know, whatever. What else is a bad city? Some of the cities, Detroit, New Orleans, you know, Burien. You know, I, um, <laughs> someone's going to get offended. <laughs> How's the city of you? Has Jesus done a bunch of miracles in your life, but you haven't turned? How's the city of you? Like, would Jesus look at the city of you and say, you know what, man, I, I've done such wonderful things in your life. I've given you so much. But now you choose to not, not follow me? You choose to not turn to me? You choose to not repent? Woe to you, man. I tell you, other cities would be better off than you because you've seen the miracles that I've performed in your life. You've seen my power in your life and you choose to not repent. Woe to you. If you're here this morning and you don't believe in Jesus, Jesus is rebuking you this morning in that same way and saying, you know, man, think about all the blessings that I've given you in your life, man. Your life may not have been perfect, but I blessed you. There's things I've done in your life that are great and you've chosen not to follow me in spite of all the wonderful things that I've done for you in your life. If you're a believer this morning, Jesus is saying to you, man, do not forget what I've done for you. Do not forget how I've blessed you. Root out that iniquity inside of your heart. And when Jesus says that to us, I, I, I always have to remind you guys, it doesn't mean we're not secure in our salvation. It's just this idea of like, man, we want to root out those things so that we can live a life that is pleasing to him. Amen. Amen. Revelation 3:19. as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, as Jesus says, therefore be zealous and repent. We should be zealous to repent. Why wouldn't we? Why, why wouldn't we want to be with Jesus? Why would we not want to live for Him? And, and, and I will tell you, when, when it comes to this idea of rebuke and this idea of, uh, of challenging and correction, uh, parents, you are, if you're not telling your kids how to live and what to do, you're not doing them any favors. You've got to disciple them. Discipline. The root of discipline is disciple. You're training them. And there's nothing wrong with sternly admonishing your children to say, live this way, do not live this way. And it's in everything. It's how they talk and how they walk and what they wear and what friends that they choose. 
We've got to do that for our kids. Why? Because we want them to live good lives. And so when Jesus does that to us and for us, we shouldn't get frustrated about it. We just say, man, thank you, Jesus. I want to live a life that's pleasing to you. And so Jesus calls out Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum. Why? Because they had a greater opportunity than those cities that Jesus didn't go to. And so Jesus holds them accountable. The sad part about it is that people wanted miracles. They didn't want Jesus. They just wanted what he could do, man. Yeah, we'll eat the loaves and fishes, but we don't want to change our lives. Yes, I love the fact that I'm no longer lame and blind, but I didn't really have any intention of following you. Don't be like them. Don't be those type of people. Jesus cares about you. That's why he rebukes people because he he pities those people that don't repent. And when he says that, he says, woe to you, woe to you. That's that's a pity term. It's it's that his heart actually doesn't like it. There's there's not any part of Jesus that gets excited about the fact that people won't turn to him. This is why I don't believe that God chooses some for heaven and some for hell. I, I, I I won't ever believe that because God takes no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. When you repent and you come to Christ, it brings security. Ezekiel 33, 11 says, Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? God does not want to send anybody to hell. God does not want anybody to be destroyed. And so he makes a very simple proposition that says, just turn to me and live forever. Turn away from those false idols. Turn away from those sins. Turn, have a, have a metanoia, a repentance mind change about your sin in your life. Live for God. Romans 2.4, you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Now, secondly, you've got to look for fruit of repentance. You've got to look for fruit of repentance. Jesus, now this might be surprising to you, but Jesus actually looks for fruit of repentance in our lives as well. He looks at us and says, you know what, I want to see fruit. And if you don't understand this idea of fruit, it's this idea of Something's changed on the inside, and so something is changed on the outside. And this is hard for some people to grasp because they say, well, doesn't God care about my heart? He does care about your heart because if your heart changes, then something externally will change as well. We all know this intrinsically. It's like how many of us have ever gotten talked to at work for something that we're not doing right? All of us, right? I used to work in food service when I was in college. I worked at a pizza joint. And they used to have this term. It's called uh, time to lean, time to clean, which means if there's nothing going on, that means you need to be cleaning something. Anybody ever else worked in food service? Yeah, man, it's the worst part of working in food service. You've always got to be cleaning something up. And so you might find this surprising, but my boss would always have to remind me when I wasn't doing anything that it wasn't time to stand around and talk. To my fellow employees, it's time for me to clean. And so when when old Jim Tangway would, uh, that was his name, Jim Tangway, he pulled me aside and said, Matt, we don't pay you to talk here. We pay you to work. And so we need you to clean. And so after, after he gave me this talk, he would look for the fact that I would clean after he had told me what I needed to be doing. That was the fruit of my repentance. 
the fruit of the repentance was something had been said to me, I internalized it, I changed my mind, and something externally changed. I didn't. Uh, the next time he came around, I didn't say, you know what, man, I, I, I've got it changed in my heart. In my heart, I want it to be clean here. In my heart, I really want to clean. I, my heart's been changed. Jesus says in verse 21, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Now, this idea of sackcloth and ashes, if you don't know, it means to publicly express sorrow or regret for having done something wrong. That's what sackcloth and ashes means. And so uh, uh, this idea of sackcloth and ashes has been all through the Old Testament. Jonah declared to the people of Nineveh that God was going to destroy them for their wickedness. And everyone in that city responded with repentance, fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. That's how they responded. You read about that in Jonah 3. And so we find that all throughout the Old Testament. And when people were being corrected by God, they would put on sackcloth and ashes. And you say, what is sackcloth? It's like goat's hair. It's really uncomfortable. It's saying, you know what, I've done something wrong, so I'm going to put on this jacket that's very, very uncomfortable. Because I want somebody to know that I want to actually have my flesh feel different. Different because of something that I've done bad. And then they would literally sit in ashes and sometimes they would pour ashes over themselves as well. So if someone had done something wrong and they wanted to display to everybody else, hey, I'm I really having to change a heart about this, you would see them put on a goat hair's jacket, sit in ashes, and then people go by like, man, they must really feel bad for what they've done because they're putting sackcloth and ashes on. It was an external sign. Now, you're going to start drawing some connections here. Anyone could put on sackcloth and ashes and say they were sorry. I mean, goat, goat's hair can be uncomfortable and sitting in ashes can be uncomfortable. But but I, I would guess to say that probably throughout history, even thousands of years ago, there's probably some people in community that put on the jacket and covered themselves in ashes, but had never really had a heart change. They just externally put it on so that everybody around them would probably think they were sorry and probably think that they wanted their lives to change, but they really had no intention of their life changing because their hearts hadn't been changing. And so when Jesus says to these cities that they put on sackcloth and ashes, I'm guessing that Jesus wanted more than just an external sign. I'm guessing that Jesus wanted more than I just want you to put on this outs, outward example of you being sorry for your sins. That's that's what I believe. I always use the example of the prodigal son when I talk about turning away from sin because I think the story of the prodigal son, if you don't know the story, it's a great story. You can look it up. It's part of your homework. Basically, the son goes and he says to his dad, I don't want to live for you. I don't want to live with you. I want my inheritance. I'm going to go live my life the way that I want. And then he goes away from his dad. And the Bible says there's this point where he comes to his senses and says, you know what? I was wrong. 
I was wrong. It says in Luke 15, 17, but when he came to himself, when he came to himself, he had a mind that changed and said, you know what, I've done something wrong. I went against my dad. I went against my father. I lived my life a different way, but I've now I'm come to the realization that something needs to change inside of my life. And so what does he do? He says, how many of my father's hired servants have had bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son make me like one of your hired servants so he's living away from his father he realizes he's done his father wrong and so he has a mind change about how he thinks about his dad but then he has a direction change about how he's living his life he actually has fruits of repentance He wasn't away from his father and said, you know what, I've completely changed the way in which I feel about my dad, but I'm unwilling to go back to him and admit that I was wrong. I'm unwilling to have other people see that I'm going back to my father after what I said and what I did. Uh, No, he turned directly to his dad and said, you know what, I don't care. This is the fruit of my repentance. Matthew 3, 8, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. That's what Jesus said. The only person that can do a self-inventory is you. That's the only person. And and, and here's, here's, oh, this isn't even my notes, but I'm about to preach. (laughs) One of the most frustrating things about being a pastor over the last 18 years is how many people have blatantly lied to me for years on end, publicly, outwardly, about who they are as a Christian, when there had been no inner working inside of their hearts. And I'll tell you, as a pastor, man, it makes you very distrustful of people. Because throughout the years, man, I've had so many people that have lied to me and said they were Christians, and they weren't. They weren't at all, because they had never truly had that heart change. They'd never really done a self-inventory and said, you know what, I'm telling my family, I'm telling my pastor, I'm telling everybody in my life that I'm a Christian, but, but there's never been an inner heart change inside of me that I'm bearing fruits of repentance on the inside. And so how do I respond to the forgiveness of Jesus? How, how do I treat others when I have been done wrong? How do I treat others when I've done them, them wrong? Where's, where's my life with Jesus? And, and I know that some of you say, man, Pastor, you talk about this repentance so much. I, there's literally someone that sits in prison today that attended this church for years that did not listen to the message of repentance and because of their refusal, sit in prison today. Literally. Because, because they told themselves this lie that says, you know what, I, I, no one's going to know my heart. And they told themselves this lie that says, I don't need to change. They told themselves this lie that says, I don't need to internalize the message and, and live a life worthy of repentance because of what had Jesus done to me. And because their mind had not changed about their sins and their lives had not changed in the way in which they had responded to that, they were dead in their transgressions. They went and they did sin and they sit in a literal bars and walls prison because of their inability to follow after the simple message of Jesus, which is to repent. The fruit of the Spirit is easy. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The Bible says against these things there is no such law. 
And so in your own life, and this is that self-inventory part, if you would say, you want pastor, in my life, I have no joy, no love, no peace, no patience, no kindness, no goodness, no faithfulness, no gentleness, no self-control. I have none of that. None of that exists in my life. I would tell you, in love, then go back to the cross. Go back to the cross. Say to Jesus, Jesus, I am not seeing these fruits in my life. What, what part have I not missed? What, what things in my life did I, did I truly not come to you when I said it? Is my heart truly not appreciative of the forgiveness that you've given to us? Father, and I'm not, I'm not, you're, you're judged by your own works. I'm not judging you. I'm giving you the opportunity. I'm giving you a mindset that says, you know what, man, go back to Jesus and talk to him about it. Because if we're not seeing that type of fruit, we need to ask ourselves, have I repented? Because it's a mind change, but it's an action change. And here's the other part of it. I need to make this so clear. It's not on your own strength. When I preach these things and and, and I say, man, you need to have more joy, peace, patience, kindness, and self-control. And you say, man, he's he's putting a yoke of bondage on us and he's telling us how to live. No, I'm not. I'm saying you can't do that on your own. You you can't just magically find joy, and you can't magically find peace, and you can't magically find self-control. But but if you are truly repentive, if you truly have gone to Jesus, and you've truly been saved, you turn around, you're like, wow, I don't know how this happened, but I have all this joy that I never expected. I have all this patience that that can only be God. I've got this self-control that I've never experienced before. And so the answer to you is not to try harder. The answer is go back. Back to the cross. What is your mind default to thinking about? What are your desires? How do you spend your time? And I've seen it. I've seen people try to put on repentance with no heart change. And I will tell you, it does not last. Don't just put on sackcloth and ashes and expect externally that everybody else sees you and thinks, man, they must be sorry. Go to Jesus and put on the sackcloth and ashes in your heart and have a heart of repentance and produce the fruits worthy of repentance. Amen. Job 42.6, therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. I don't think we should be self-loathing haters of ourselves. I don't believe that at all. But here's what I do believe. I do believe that for things that offend God, man, it should bother us. And if you do things that you know are anti-biblical and it doesn't bother you at all, I don't want you to change. I want you to go back to the cross. Because I know that for myself, man, like if, if... if I'm at odds with somebody or I'm arguing with my wife or I've done something that is against the Bible, man, my stomach hurts. I can't sleep. I get frustrated. and I'm drawn back to Jesus to ask for forgiveness. And so if you can willfully disobey the word of God and have no qualms about it at all, man, go back to the cross. Here's the last point. Punishment awaits those who do not repent. Praise God that he rebukes us while we're in our sin because punishment awaits those who don't. Crystal and I were talking about this week is that, you know, God will give you so many times that he wants you to repent and he will deal with you privately so he doesn't have to deal with you publicly. But God loves you so much 
that he will deal with things publicly because he wants you to rebuke he wants you to repent and come back back to him he cares less about how other people view you and cares more about you coming back to him but because God is such a gentleman he will give you time and time again to actually come back to him the, the rebukes of the Lord are intended to keep us from punishment let, let me let me go back to the scriptures. Verses 22 through 24, it says, But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom than in the day of judgment for you. Now, I don't know if you know the story of, of Sodom, but I'm going to... I'm going to share it with you real quick. Not the whole entire thing, but I want to just share parts of this with you because Jesus referenced it, and so I, I want you to see this. Are you guys still with me? Okay, good. Genesis 19:23 through 29. It says, The sun had risen up upon the earth when Lot entered Zor. Now, Zor, had, uh, the, the name of Sodom got changed um, afterwards, and that's earlier in the scripture. It says, Now listen. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. So he he put fire and brimstone on all the people and all the living plants. Talking about Lot's wife. But his wife looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah and towards all the land of the plain. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land, which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst over the overthrow. Then he overthrew the cities in which, uh, overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. How many of you saw that fire in Puyallup yesterday? Did you guys see that fire? There was a fire in Puyallup yesterday. I could see it from my house. I was on one of those Facebook pages where it was on fire uh, or showed the pictures of the fire. It was like 8 o'clock in the morning. And and I went out to my driveway and I looked down and I was like, wow, there's big black billowing smoke off of Pioneer Avenue uh, in, in Puyallup. And I guess there was a cold storage facility and it had caught on fire in the morning. And then they actually let the thing burn all day because for uh, uh, hazardous materials, I guess it made more sense to burn it off than to put it out. Whatever, I'm not a firefighter. But even later in the day, at like 4 or 5 o'clock, I could still go out to my driveway and there's still black billowing smoke. There was like uh, It's like four miles from my house, and I could still see this black billowing smoke coming out. And, 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 and for us, it's really hard to imagine that God would come and, and, and put fire and brimstone over a whole entire city. But Jesus in this scripture, for a word picture, for those of you that, that can't see the connection, think of the whole city of Puyallup, and, and nothing against any inhabitants of Puyallup, but I'm just using it as an example. If the whole thing was on fire... And destruction, and, and Abraham looked on it, and everybody would probably talk about this story for thousands of years. And people were like, man, remember what happened to Puyallup when it burned? Remember when that whole when God burned down that whole entire city for the wickedness of that city? And Jesus stands up to the the people that are standing there and says, you know what, man, that burning city would be better off than you. 
That You think that's punishment. The people that received that type of punishment are going to be better off than you because you're rejecting me as the son of God. They're going to be better off than you because you're rejecting me as Messiah. You're rejecting to be in relationship with me. The, the people that were in the burning city that got destroyed by fire and brimstone, they are going to be better off than you that are standing here right now listening and saying, I don't want to be in relationship with you, Jesus. He rebukes those cities and says, you don't have any fruit. And then he uses the destructed city as an example of they will be better off than you. Are you, are you guys catching this? One time when I was in college, and, and don't judge me, I'm just preaching truth here. For I don't know why, college kids are weird. But this guy had a car, <laughs> this guy had a car that he had bought for $100, and then it stopped working. And so for whatever reason, we all got a bunch of knives and sledgehammers, and a bunch of us just went to work on this car for about two hours, utterly and completely destroying this car. Now, when I say destroy, I'm saying at, at the final end, we're uh, like moving the doors back and forth, trying to get them to break off. There were so many guys, we, kept, we would lift it over uh, and turn it over upside down and then jump up and down on it and then bring it back. There, there was not, we were ripping the upholstery with knives. We were smashing the, 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 the dashboard with sledgehammer. Every window was smashed. All the fluids were drained. Everything was cut. I, I mean, I, I, there wasn't a square inch that probably hadn't been hit, cut, scraped, or whatever. We were out in front of our dorm doing this, and a lady called the police. <laughs> And the police showed up and said, what are you guys doing to this car? And this guy said, it's my car. And the cop said, you have a title? And he goes, yeah, this is my title. And the cop says, Lady, I can't stop people from destroying a car that's their own. <laughs> so we just continued to smash the ever-loving whatever out of this car. It was one of my higher points of excitement when I was in college. It was fun. Destroyed. So then this guy, for however he was able to do it, had to go and hire a tow company to come take this thing to the junkyard. The tow driver shows up and pulls this indistinguishable former conveyance up onto this flatbed. Now, as luck would have it, my roommate was actually uh, going somewhere and was following over the Ballard Bridge into Ballard as it was going to the wrecking yard. And he was he was behind the car, and he said that there was cars on every other side, and people were like, oh. They were, he said they were literally like, oh. It's pre-cell phone, so no one took any pictures. And he said, you could tell by the people's faces, they were so concerned of what kind of wreck must these people have been in to see a car destroyed such as this. If that car was a wreck and that car was Sodom, they would be better off than you if you reject Jesus. You just need to internalize that, man. People always tell themselves these lies and say, man, I, I should be fine. 
No, Sodom will be better off than Capernaum. Now, now, Capernaum was a place where Jesus did a ton of miracles. It was the center of his ministry. And Jesus says, you know what? Capernaum, man, you know what? Sodom didn't even see me. And Sodom was destroyed. And Sodom did such unbelievable wickedness. And, and I came to you and I, did, and I did miracles for you, but I want you to understand the destruction that happened to Sodom and Gomorrah is going to pale in comparison to how you're going to be destroyed because you saw me and I loved you and I did things for you, but you still chose to reject me. See, Jesus actually warns of different degrees of punishment. He actually does. I, I know that people want to believe that somehow it's not going to be that way, but it is. In Luke chapter 12, verses 47 through 48, and we're almost done here. Stick with me. I finally figured out what that other sound is. There's a group of people that meet over on the other side publicly, uh, and we're hearing them things. So that's what that sound is. I figured that out. Uh, Luke 12, 47 through 48, it says... Uh, And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with a few. For everyone to whom much is given from him, much will be required. And to whom much is committed of him, they will ask more. What does that mean? See, you you done messed up by being here this morning. Because now you know the truth. And if you know the truth and you reject the truth, the Bible says you're actually going to be dealt with more harshly than somebody who doesn't know any better. They're still going to be dealt with harshly, but not nearly as harshly as somebody who actually knows better. And, and, and so you, as a person that's knowing better, should respond to it. Amen? Romans 2.12, For as many have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and as many have sinned and the law will be judged by the law. So, so the Son of God comes, comes to your town, does miracles, and you don't even respond, and Jesus takes rejection of him and his ministry very, very seriously. Amen? Matthew 13, so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire where they'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, people discount hell because they say, you know what, it was Gehenna. It was just an example that Jesus used. Using the fire from yesterday in Puyallup, the the, the fire in Puyallup is not hell, but it's a living, breathing example that Jesus can point at and say, you know what, hell is like this. This is something that you don't want to go to. Romans 2, 5, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation in the righteous judgment of God. Friend, and and this, this is the end. Jesus wants you to repent now. Now, today. He, he says if he says to these cities, if they would have repented long ago, they had an opportunity to turn, but they chose not to. You, you've got to have some urgency about that. You've, you've got to have this sense of today is the day of salvation. If you knew that the master of the house was coming this evening, what would you do to put your house in order? If you knew you were going to get fired by Friday, if you didn't change your, the, the way that you worked on Monday, how would you start working on Monday? And people always say, well, I've got more time, and, 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 I, and I know that, that, I, that I'm going to live this long. No, your very life could be demanded of you today. You have no reason to wait. 
The Bible says in an acceptable time, I've heard you in the day of salvation, I have helped you. He's helping you today to come to him. I'll, I'll leave you with a story. Well, and, and, and there's, it's really quite easy. <laughs> when I was in sales, and, and I know that you guys might find this surprising, but when I was in sales, I was really pushy. Do you find that surprising? It's shocking, right? And when I would talk, I would always have to set appointments with people on the phone. Phone work is one of the uh, most horrible parts about being in sales, but you got to do it. And I would get somebody on the phone, and, and we were taught and trained to say this phrase. We got somebody on the phone. I can see you now or at 4 o'clock. Which time's better for you? It's kind of a no choice, right? Because you're, you're not going to see somebody now. But we always said that. I can see you now or I can see you at 4 o'clock. When I was in front of somebody getting a contract signed, I'd say, well, why don't we get this thing going? And they say, well, I've got to think about it. I said, well, you can think about it or you can do it now. Well, I want you to come back tomorrow. I said, well, I can come back tomorrow, but I can also just handle it right now. Why? Because here's what I knew is that tomorrow the decision would be different. Tomorrow things will have changed. Tomorrow may not come. Tomorrow that guy might get fired. Tomorrow I might get fired. I just didn't know. And I'm like, dude, I'm closing this thing down today. And so when it comes to the things of God and, you, and you're, you're just putting it off and saying, you know what, man, I'll give up that pet sin next week. If you're here this morning, you're not a believer. You say, you know what, man, I've heard this Jesus tale many, many times. But I'll do it next week. Luke 20, uh, 12, 20 says, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. James 14, 4 says, you do not know what will happen tomorrow. Do not let this moment pass. Give your life to Jesus today. Turn to him. Live for him. Live in his grace and mercy. No, live in the security of your salvation that says, I don't have to worry about anything or anyone. No matter what this world may do, I can rest in my relationship with Jesus. Amen. If you don't repent, Jesus will rebuke you. Look for the fruits of repentance. And if you don't see them, go back to the cross. And finally, punishment awaits those who repent. So repent today. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. I would like to invite you to become one. And this message is abundantly clear about what it takes, man. So simple. Just turn to Jesus. You didn't have to. I didn't know what it meant when I became a Christian. I just knew that I needed to live for Jesus. I wanted to be forgiven of my sins. I wanted to live a life for him. And if you've never made that decision before, if you've never said, I want to be a Christian, and you'd like to do that for the first time, I want you to raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I want to become a Christian. Don't let this moment pass. Don't let another day go by. Maybe you know the truth and you say, Pastor, I've already made that decision before, but I just find myself in a way that I've been far from him and I just want to rededicate my life today. And I always say, man, it's not because you had a bad week. You've been gone, gone, gone for a long time. But today you want to come back to him. We want to pray with you as well. Is there someone that want to raise their hand to the heavens and say, that's me. I want to give my life back to Jesus. Thank you, Lord. For the rest of us, maybe there's a, something small or something big that, man, you're still a believer in Jesus, but you're like, man, this thing just 
I just keep holding on to this, but today's the day. I'm, I'm having a mind change. I don't want to do that anymore. Just say to Jesus, say, Jesus, take this from me. I don't want this thing to be in my life anymore. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you're a God that redeems and forgives. And we turn to you to, today in faith, believing that you're a God that redeems. Father, we praise you and we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.